You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we want to begin with breaking news, and some of you probably have seen it. It's a fire on False Creek. It's on the water between the Canby and Granville bridges. Let's take a look at a live shot from our Global One helicopter. Uh, you can see smoke uh, on the water there pouring out of two, possibly three boats. We are just off the phone with Vancouver Fire Rescue, and they've told us it appears the fire started on a sailboat, which was tied up to two, or pardon me, which was tied up to other vessels. Firefighters arrived to find heavy smoke and flames in the area. They say two people from the sailboat have escaped the fire and are now on shore. They're being checked out by paramedics. Now, it is not believed there are any serious injuries. One fireboat is already on the scene. And a second is responding. We don't know at this point how the fire started, but uh, obviously fire crews are on the scene there uh, and trying to take care of that situation. We'll keep you updated as more details come in. No doubt we will. Okay, now after a record-shattering wildfire season, the focus is now switching to another looming threat to impact even more people. Much of B.C. is in the grip of a severe drought. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the solution, a lot of rain, could trigger a whole host of other problems. Early September and creeks are just trickles. For the better part of 18 months, BC has been in the grips of an historic drought. The government calling it the biggest threat facing the province. In my opinion, truly is a, a sleeping giant of a natural disaster that we are challenged with right now. Ironically, one of the key concerns heading into the fall and winter is flooding. Reflecting back on 2021, BC was in the grips of a significant drought when a series of atmospheric rivers drenched the southern regions of the province, creating one of the most significant floods in decades. According to the government, drought conditions exist nearly everywhere, and many places won't see the rain needed. The drought could linger into the freeze-up of winter and, and, of course, extend into the spring or, or summer. While what's potentially in the pipeline is well understood, the province hasn't totally fixed the damage from the last flood. The Coquihalla and Trans-Canada highways are still being repaired. Abbotsford has endorsed a more than $3 billion long-term strategy to enhance protection on the Sumas Prairie including $1.6 to improve pumping capacity and increased storage of flood water. Farmers paid some of the heaviest toll from the last flooding and have taken action, raising barns and protecting infrastructure. Farming groups are looking to government for more support. We're ready to work with the province to um, look at ways to, to help farmers survive through this year, uh, through this challenging year, but then also address uh, some of these longer uh, standing issues. The key to avoiding potentially catastrophic flooding is a slow recharge of the province's watersheds. Steady rain over several weeks or months that can be easily absorbed back into the ground. But that's not typically how winter weather works. October, November storms can come hard and fast, which leaves the door open to further damage. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The federal government says despite cooler temperatures and lower lightning activity, higher wildfire risk is still expected through September. Ongoing dry weather could contribute to new fire starts and add fuel to those already burning. Right now, there are more than 1,000 wildfires burning in the country with approximately 790 considered out of control. 
The feds say BC will receive $32 million in funding for firefighting equipment and essential personnel over the next five years. Federal officials are pointing to climate change as the main cause of the worsening fire conditions. We all know that Canadians deserve leaders who aren't afraid to face climate change uh, in our country. These wildfires have filled our air with smoke and turned our skies red. And this is a reality. And it is happening now. Canadians can't afford to look away. As for evacuee services, more than 14,000 Canadians have applied to Service Canada since April, seeking financial support after being forced out of their homes. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more about the fall outlook. How are things looking, Christy? Well, Sophie, when we look at an outlook or a long-range forecast, we really have to look at general trends, and we turn to it uh, typically to, say, the Enzo Oscillation, El Nino or La Nina, and we are transitioning into El Nino. In fact, it's expected to strengthen as we head throughout the year, but what does that mean for BC? One of the things we know that it means, in general, the impact on BC is for warmer-than-average uh, conditions, so higher-than-average temperatures, and that tends to mean less snowfall, especially for lower elevations. But recent studies have actually shown that there's weak correlation between El Nino-La Nina events to precipitation. So knowing exactly how much precipitation is very difficult. The long-range forecasts and the seasonal outlooks from other computer models, though, are showing that we have a general warmer-than-average and drier-than-average trend ahead. So back to you. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, extreme weather events are forcing insurance companies to pay out more claims, including in B.C., where we've now recorded the worst wildfire season on record. So what will that mean for home insurance premiums going forward? Consumer Matters reporter Andrew has been talking with the experts. And Thanks, Sophie. We still don't know what the overall claims costs will be for 2023, but given the extreme weather events we have seen right across the country, insurance experts say there's a possibility premiums will go up. From wildfires to flooding, the Insurance Bureau of Canada says the frequency and severity of weather events is coming at an incredible cost. Canada is becoming a riskier place to do business. In fact, severe weather in 2022 alone caused $3.1 billion in insured damage, the third worst year for insured losses in Canadian history. While no one event automatically increases everyone's premium, insurance experts say extreme weather is putting pressure on insurance rates compounded by other factors like inflation, building costs, labor shortages and supply chain disruptions. So people that might live in unprotected fire zones, they would expect to pay a higher premium. The overall claim costs are still unknown for 2023, but there's a possibility premiums could climb even higher especially given the wildfire devastation in BC. In this case, you know, when, when we see an increase in payouts due to claims for fire, we can actually assume that the rates are going to increase in those areas too, and will continue to as long as more money is having to be paid out as a result of damages. Still, unlike residents living in high-risk flood hazard areas or in floodplains, those residing in fire risk zones can get insurance provided there is no imminent threat. So as a consumer, you want to be proactive if you aren't currently insured to get insurance before something pops up. But in parts of the U.S., a much different story. Extreme weather contributing to a home insurance crisis in California and Florida, where a number of insurance companies won't offer or renew coverage. 
Industry experts say while Canada isn't there yet, it should serve as a warning. We could end up in a situation like we're seeing in the United States, where there's just some areas, and we're experiencing it now, where people, particularly with flood, just can't get that coverage. The National Flood Insurance Program announced in this year's federal budget to create a low-cost flood insurance program is said by stakeholders to be a step in the right direction. But time is of the essence. The time to act is now, not at some point in the future. And one more note, the Insurance Bureau of Canada says over the last decade, insured losses from natural disasters are averaging $2.2 billion a year, far exceeding the average in the previous decade of just over $600 million. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Well, the explosion of electric vehicles on B.C. roads shows that many of the factors that prevented drivers from making the move to EVs are disappearing. But as Kamal Kuramali reports, one big concern is still holding many people back. So this is Volkswagen's main electric vehicle. Here at this Vancouver car dealership. The range is about 440 kilometers. Although a surging number of buyers are flipping the switch on electric vehicles, there's still some hesitation. The road trips is definitely a little bit more tricky. Pumping the brakes because of uncertainties around long range trips. I think a lot of it is the range concern. I think that's a lot of it. Um, they have that fear of, well, what if I need power right away? New BC Hydro numbers show there are still some anxieties about charging up. They're now more concerned about how charging infrastructure is at their destination when they're actually going on a road trip or vacation. The average EV trip is now 350 kilometers between charges, causing people to be less anxious about charging during long trips. But 45% surveyed still say they're not likely to take an EV road trip, with more than half of those unsure if they would find a charging station. Although those surveyed are now less worried about reaching their destination, they are worried about what happens when they get there. More than 80% said the thought of waiting in line for a charge makes them less inclined to purchase an EV. There are more than 120,000 EVs on the road set to grow to as many as 900,000 in 10 years. Roughly 2,000 public charging stations in the province, just over 150 of those operated by BC Hydro, hoping to expand it to 3,000 units in the next 10 years. As of now, though, 66% surveyed don't believe there are enough charging stations. Because you never know if it's not working. It's just a matter of finding charging stations that are not broken. But some advice from the experts. Um, road trips, there's, there's lots of stations now. It's surprisingly easy. It just takes looking. To take a chance and just hit the road. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And there are a number of websites and apps to help EV owners plan their trip. BC Hydro has a map of its many charging locations all around the province. Other apps like PlugShare, A Better Route Planner, ChargeHub and ZapMap are all highly rated. The apps show the most efficient route to your destination, how busy the chargers are along the way, and if there are amenities nearby like restaurants, playgrounds and even dog parks. Well, securing a hotel room on any budget is becoming increasingly difficult in Vancouver. A shortage of rooms has led to people offering up apartments for rent to make a quick buck, further straining the housing supply. As Kristen Robinson reports, a new motion at City Council could change that. 
as visitors continue to roll in. Vancouver's hotel room shortage is driving prices up and increasingly putting pressure on an already tight housing supply. People will turn to uh, short-term rental um, and we see that impact um, if there's nowhere else to stay. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young is asking staff to consider how the city's interim hotel development policy could be expanded to generate new hotels and rooms including mixed hotel and residential use. The key of the motion is really recognizing that just like the pressure that we're seeing on housing uh, and we set targets for that in order to move that needle forward, what we're trying to do is set targets also to deliver on hotels. Vancouver has lost 1,500 hotel rooms since 2010. The pandemic removed an additional 550 rooms from the city's inventory as hotels were converted to supportive housing for a total loss of more than 2,000 rooms in just over a decade. Destination Vancouver recently warned demand could exceed supply by 2026, with 10,000 new hotel rooms needed in order to close the gap. The impact of that, if we don't do something from 2022 to 2050, is an opportunity cost of over $30 billion. So we need to start doing something now to incentivize hotel room growth for Vancouver. It is increasingly prevalent that the, uh, the contracting hotel sector is actually limiting the economic growth, not only in Vancouver, but the province as a whole. Without more rooms, the BC Hotel Association says it won't be able to maximize the capacity at its event spaces, while Kirby Young says it could cost the city billions. Of Vancouver. If its ability to bid on major events like FIFA World Cup is impacted. We're going to run out of rooms and we're not going to be able to attract events like that because we won't have enough places for people to stay. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The school district in the BC interior has taken an unusual step to alleviate its teacher shortage, offering cash bonuses to lure qualified teachers. Jennifer Palma has the details, including the unusual source of the extra funding. Desert Sands Community School in Ashcroft welcomes students from K-12. It's the only school in the village, and for the past several years, it's been hard to staff. But over the last number of years, and certainly the last four, what we've seen is never being fully staffed. A crisis because there were 22 vacancies. The Gold Trail School District has 1,100 students and employs more than 100 teachers. So when an anonymous donor came forward with $200,000 for the school district to help attract teachers, it was greatly welcomed. So far, 13 teachers have been hired and will receive the Welcome to the Community Award. In a rural setting, schools are often the hubs of the community, and I think this donation and this offer really reflects. The communities that will benefit from the generous donation are Ashcroft, Lillooet and Lytton, where the K-12 schools survived that devastating wildfire. The money will be doled out throughout the year by Community Futures Sun Country. And each teacher is to receive $10,000 upon signing up for the year. Um, aside from Lytton, it's $15,000. Recruiting and retaining staff is an issue school districts across the province have been grappling with. In a statement to Global News, the Ministry of Education says the province has recently announced a $12.5 million investment as part of the stronger BC Future Ready Action Plan to support the recruitment and retention of teachers in rural and northern districts, as well as the recruitment and retention of Indigenous teachers. It's not lost on the district that this is a one-time windfall that helped them recruit. They're hoping the teachers that signed up for this school year will stay. 
we have workforce issues that need to be addressed in probably new ways. And I'm not sure if a welcome to the community award will always be the solution, but I think it requires us to think in new ways around how we recruit and retain. I'm just afraid that after the year, if they do have to move away for whatever reason, it's going to be hard to fill because we don't always have this money. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Shocking new information about the cause of the Prince George explosion. Just blew up, holy. How suspected copper thieves started a disastrous chain of events. Next on the News Hour. I have a superpower, and the power is my color pencil. A local artist who survived childhood as an Iraqi refugee and the gift that set him on his creative path later on the news hour. And donkeys hog the road playing chicken with drivers in Surrey. That's also coming up later. That was like a whole farm. There's a whole, I couldn't fit any more barnyard animals in there. <laughs> New details about a huge explosion that leveled a building, shattered hundreds of windows, and sent three people to hospital. Right now, Prince George RCMP says it appears the blast on the early morning of August 22nd was caused by metal thieves. Catherine Urquhart has the details. Holy When a massive explosion rocked downtown Prince George more than two weeks ago, it reduced one building to rubble. Just blew up. Holy. Others were damaged and there was plenty of shattered glass. Some residents feared there had been a seismic event. We had an earthquake a few years ago, and, and at first I thought that's what it was. Emergency responders raced to the scene as two people stumbled from the wreckage. Another appeared trapped. Among the injured was Victoria McGivern, a mother of three who had been in a neighboring structure at the time of the blast. She suffered burns, lacerations, a brain bleed and fracture. She was airlifted to Vancouver and a GoFundMe has raised more than $86,000. We had to proceed with caution. We had several hazards to deal with immediately and at this time we are now slowly starting to clean and pick our way through the debris. Now an investigation into the incident has determined that multiple people broke into the building the night before and their actions caused the explosion. There is also evidence of copper pipe theft having occurred which damaged a natural gas line within the building. The source of the ignition that set off the explosion was due to one of the unauthorized persons who was inside the structure who was unaware at the time of how much uh, of the natural gas inside the structure. Fortis told Global News, we encourage property owners to let us know if they plan to leave their home or building vacant for a period of time with no gas consumption. If requested, we will remove gas service from a property. Prince George RCMP say they continue to investigate what occurred. We have spoken with many of the individuals that were inside the structure uh, and have gotten statements from all of them. So far, no charges have been laid in the case. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Work is underway to clear out the Millennium Park tent city in Prince George. More than 30 people have been living in the encampment, but in May, council voted to dismantle it, citing safety concerns for those living in the camp, as well as police and other first responders. The plan to remove the camp has been criticized by B.C.'s housing minister and local advocates who say indoor housing solutions need to be found before the tents come down.
it's transient, people come and go, but there's people here who have been here for up to six months and uh, it's their living situation, it's their community, it's human beings interacting and having a functional community and they're peaceful. I mean, as peaceful as peaceful can be when addiction is involved. We as a government, as a city, as well as the BC government, we're not in the business of moving people from encampment to encampment. Hopefully we work together, we can move people from encampment to housing. While Saturday is technically the deadline to clear out the camp, the fire department is planning to have all combustible materials removed by Friday. Just ahead, Jericho Pier in jeopardy. The iconic waterfront feature was badly damaged during a king tide. Now some say it's not worth saving. Plus, they're just eking out an existence just like everyone else. Surrey makes a big move to deal with derelict boats and the people who live on them. It's a busy afternoon for the downtown core traffic exiting and entering via the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts. We had some debris dropped on the Dunsmuir viaduct headed into downtown, but that's been cleared up and Main Street's open as well, just south of Dunsmuir. Crewman Collision and Autoglass's newest location in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive is conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for over 50 years. Derelict boats on the Nicomichael River are more than just an eyesore to South Surrey residents. The city says they're also a safety hazard and illegal. And that's why officials are teaming up with Transport Canada to move the boats out. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, the vessels are likely a symptom of a much bigger problem. Walking along the Nicomechal River, sun shining, birds chirping, and the view of derelict boats. Well, it's horrible. <laughs> it's yeah. not a good thing. You kind of go, oh my gosh. It's kind of. Uh, an ocean version of the homeless. I call it water world. Along the narrow South Surrey waterway lies a floating community of run-down, rafted-up vessels, the smell of raw sewage and garbage being dumped in the water, enough to make the city of Surrey take action. The city's going to start cleaning it up. It's an eyesore, it's a public safety issue and an environmental issue. Working with Transport Canada to dispose and continually monitor offenders. How much it will cost and who's paying for it, we still don't know. But the city says it will start work to get them out by the end of the month. Leaving locals wondering where will they go. It's bad, but I feel sorry for the people. I really do. People who live on these boats and, you know, um, intelligent people that just kind of went sideways and, and I think that should be something done more to help them and give them an alternative. There are spots that you can legally anchor. We have to be good stewards of our, of our environment. Um, the, the globe is becoming more and more populated and we have to respect uh, our, our natural environment. To get the Nicomechal back to picture perfect. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Another problem area for derelict boats is Vancouver's False Creek. Last November, Vancouver Police and Transport Canada identified and removed more than a dozen vessels. While some remain today, Sergeant Steve Addison with the VPD says enforcement agencies are sensitive to the fact a number of boats are being used as low-cost housing. 
And in July, a request to clean up boats on the Alouette River was denied by the province, citing a lack of funding. Turns out the days are likely numbered for the damaged Jericho Beach Park Pier as the Vancouver Park Board votes on its potential demolition. As Global's Krista Dow reports, many are hoping it can be replaced with a similar waterfront amenity. For nearly two years, the stunning views overlooking Jericho Beach have been obstructed by this. The iconic Jericho Pier heavily battered and in disrepair. We need to get back to the basics here and get this thing fixed. In fact, the opposite is being recommended. Vancouver Park Board staff proposing the beloved pier be deconstructed instead. Super disappointing to get this staff report, uh, but the staff is telling us that this pier is just uh, simply beyond repair. It's reached the end of its service lifetime. The pier was badly damaged in a storm surge in January 2022. The staff report estimate a replacement pier will cost around $25 million to build. The cost of deconstruction, about $3.6 million. Staff recommending the latter based on a number of key factors like decolonization with any future changes be made in collaboration with First Nations, aging infrastructure and climate change. We just can't sustain it like this anymore with, in the face of the sea level rise. The sea level is projected to go up by one meter by the end of this century and it's just causing more and more damage. Something Mike Cotter with the Jericho Sailing Centre Association has seen over the years. He calls it unfortunate given the pier's popularity but says it's the fiscally responsible move. It's overwashed frequently in the winter with king tides and uh, in a storm surge, it's well underwater. And right now, the uh, current pier is not adequate. Plans are also being recommended to reinforce the breakwater to protect the harbour and the sailing centre. The option for a like-for-like -like repair is not being recommended, given its high cost, possibly around $2 million. But those who frequent the area say it's a pier worth saving. And it's a really important part of Vancouver and, and the beaches. It's a landmark that needs to be rejuvenated. Park Board will decide Monday whether or not to follow recommendations. Krista Dow, Global News. Still ahead, animal shelters overwhelmed. Every single day we're getting calls to take in more dogs and cats. How they're running out of room and what you can do to help. And from the fire lines to fundraising, the new t-shirts helping support our heroes and the people who lost their homes, where you can get one. Good afternoon, I'm Amber Bells in Global One over top of the Patella Bridge, which is steady in both directions without any delays on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and autoglass services. Choose the best. Federal Conservative Party leader Pierre Poiliev is riding high in the polls as his party kicks off its convention in Quebec City. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Uh, and it's a poll. We've got to be wary a little bit here, mm -hmm. Keith. But this one indicates the Liberals' fortunes are changing and quickly. 
Yeah, and it follows similar recent polls, Chris. We are now at a historic point. For years, the, uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives were tracking neck and neck in, in public opinion, uh, both between elections and at election times. That Those days for now seem to be over. Angus Reid today with a poll that's getting a lot of attention. The Conservatives now with a very healthy lead, 39% of the decided vote. That's up a couple points from June. Liberals now 12 points back. That gap has not been that wide for years, down two points. The NDP basically stuck in neutral at 19%. But here's where it gets interesting. Asked who would make the best prime minister. This was unimaginable a few months ago. But Pierre Poliev is now has almost a two-to-one uh, uh, margin over Justin Trudeau, 32 percent to 17 percent. Jagmeet Singh, 15 percent. Interestingly enough, the highest figure goes to none or unsure. Today, Pierre Poliev talking to the convention, pressing his number one issue of affordability, the issue he intends to continue to play as he thinks the Trudeau government is vulnerable on that issue. Here's Mr. Poliev. We punish hard work in this country after eight years of Trudeau. You don't bring it home. In fact, increasingly, Canadians do not have a home at all. Housing costs have doubled. Rent has doubled. Mortgage payments have doubled. The cost of a down payment needed to buy a home has doubled. It has been double trouble after eight years of Justin Trudeau. So these polls suggest that an election were held today, it's likely Mr. Poliev would win. However, of course, an election is not being held today or anytime soon, still a couple of years away. Still time for the Liberals to become more competitive. Not sure they're going to change leaders or stick with Mr. Trudeau. One thing, though, I think you can bet on the Liberals becoming much more focused on attacking Pierre Poliev and not simply ignoring him and thinking he's going away. He seemed to be having a positive impact on his own fortunes. And I think the gloves are going to come off over the next uh, few months in the run-up to the next election. Makes it exciting for you and us. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. Well, the skyrocketing cost of living is forcing a growing number of B.C. families to make the heartbreaking decision to surrender their pets. As Kylie Stanton reports, animal welfare organizations say dogs, cats and other animals are filling their shelters. Come on, Nikki. Come on. Getting out for a little exercise paired with endless love and affection. Buona, Nikki. Buona. This is often what people imagine having an animal will look like, but the reality is hitting hard. In the last year, we have seen the largest amount of owner surrenders that we've ever seen. Every day I see about five to 10 calls and we simply cannot handle that level of intake and no rescue or shelter really can. With pet surrenders on the rise and adoptions now grinding to a halt, shelters across BC are facing some tough decisions. What we worry about is if it hasn't already started to happen, it will very soon. Shelters will be forced to euthanize animals for space. The reality is not enough room. The issue started when owners went back to work once pandemic restrictions began to lift, realizing they were no longer able to care for their animals at home. But now it's the affordability crisis that's driving the numbers up even further. Everything from soaring inflation to the housing crisis. The adoption fee is just a drop in the bucket. It's very expensive to own an animal and people really need to be prepared for that. Pause for Hope Animal Foundation is on the receiving end of up to 300 calls every month. Pet owners seeking assistance when it comes to veterinary funding, crisis foster care, even food. Anything to avoid the impossible decision of having to give up an animal. But resources are wearing thin. We are at a point where when someone reaches out to us for help, if we're not able to help them 
I don't actually have somewhere to refer them to, which is really heartbreaking. The fear, as shelters reach capacity with owner-surrendered animals, there's no room for those who desperately need it. Come on. Advocates are left chasing their tails. We are in an epidemic that is getting out of control, and the only way for us as a society to turn that around is to be more understanding and responsible in making decisions and what that entails moving forward. Kathy Stanton, Global News. Coming up, art as a method of survival. I lost my childhood because it was not life back then. After incredible hardship as a child refugee, how an early gift from a teacher sparked his career as an artist. And firefighters turn fundraisers, where you can get the new Firestorm t-shirts next. The B.C. Professional Firefighters Burn Fund has launched a campaign to raise money for people who've lost their homes to this year's wildfires. The fund is selling a special edition t-shirt to commemorate the communities affected and the organizations that have come together to battle the fires. The idea coming from the firefighters on the front lines. On the front, we have all the organizations that were directly involved. That includes West Kelowna, Kelowna, Wilson's Landing, Northwest Side, and Lake Country Fire Departments, as well as the BC Wildfire Service. I think it's a way to extend it, for sure, to understand and realize that even though we're all going back to work and back to school and so forth, this isn't over. And this isn't going to be over for a long time. For now, the T-shirts are on sale at a number of Save On Foods and other local businesses in the Okanagan. A spokesperson for the Burn Fund says they hope to have the T-shirts available online eventually. Good fundraiser. Pretty cool. There'll be a hot seller. Sure will. All right, let's uh, bring in Christy Gordon for a look at the weather forecast. His feeble attempt at you. <laughs> I, it was very right good, fun. Sophie. I'm very impressed. <laughs> not so hot today. Not so hot today, but we are going to warm up. Thanks so much, you two. Along the coast, we saw near seasonal values, plenty of sunshine. We uh, saw clear skies actually across much of the province, but we're starting to heat up for those of you in the interior, and that will continue to be the trend over the next couple of days. So let's start, uh, start with the south coast area where we're expecting sort of a brief heat up. We'll see the temperatures come down as we head into Sunday and particularly Monday. And we do have a chance of showers sort of late Sunday into Monday, but it's not a lot of moisture at this point. It looks like the front that's going to move across will weaken. So there's a chance we'll see a little bit of cloud cover and that's about it. But we're hoping for some moisture. But the general idea, as you can tell, is that we've got warmth and very little rainfall. Now, for those of you in the interior, we're going to see the warmth last a little bit longer, but you'll start to see the temperature temperatures come back down as you head into next week. All right, here's your forecast for your Friday, everyone. So yes, mostly dry, still a little bit of local smoke, but most areas will be in the clear except for the far northern regions. Plenty of sunshine across the south coast and highs will range from 20 to 23 degrees for our Friday. Warmer though on Saturday with highs ranging from 23 to 26 degrees. There's the chance of showers late Sunday into our Monday, but overall we're looking at several dry days as you can tell. All right, here's tonight's center windows weather window, which comes to you from my hometown, Crescent Beach, uh, Donna Woolbridge sending us this saying, summer's not over yet, and you're exactly right. If I was in Crescent Beach, I'd be doing the same <laughs> right after the show. <laughs> I don't know if there'd be room for you there. Lots no, of fun memories right. doing that with you and your boys too, Christy. That was a fun yeah. day down there for sure. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, this may be the first time you've heard this. Traffic was snarled in Surrey 
due to a pair of donkeys. Take a look. This mother donkey, or Jenny, and her foal were seen trotting along Fraser Highway at 184th Street this morning. Surrey Animal Control responded, and with help from police, animal control officers managed to safely corral both animals and return them to their home. Uh, no word on where that home is or <laughs> how they made their way out of that home for their little morning jog. Imagine seeing those two coming right at you. It's not the strangest thing you see on the roads in Surrey sometimes. Okay, and that's probably <laughs> enough about that. Here's Squire. All right, I'll leave that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> new Canucks forward Teddy Bluger is in town. Now, he says he would like to score more goals than he normally does this year, but he also knows he's in Vancouver really to stop goals. Know, defending guys, being reliable, um, penalty kill, you know, kind of those clutch situations at the end of the game, up a goal, down a goal. His best season was just nine goals, but uh, as we said, he's here to be a key part of the penalty kill first. Goals like that from him are a bonus. And later, turning life experiences into art. How a one-time Kurdish refugee is creating a new life in Canada. Everything is in place, including Squire, for a great sportscast. Go ahead. Oh, thank you very much. I, <laughs> I hope it works out. Uh, most of the Canucks acquisitions this summer were basically designed to help the penalty kill, which has killed the Canucks for the last couple of seasons. And one of those pickups was forward Teddy Bluger. Now, he's part of that march of the former Penguins to Vancouver and a Stanley Cup winner in Vegas. He knows he's here to mostly help Vancouver when the Canucks are shorthanded. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of, been part of my game, you know, since I got to the NHL and even a little bit before that, that I kind of had to learn it to, to get my foot in the door and that, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time playing that in Pittsburgh, playing that role. But I think, you know, for me, it's, I think it's important to try and take that next step and grow my game and improve offensively and contribute more that way and, and become a better player and, like I said, contribute more offensively and, and grow that side of the game. The Man Cup starts tomorrow night. New Westminster against six nations from Ontario. The Salmon Bellies are home for this year. As we uh, told you last week, the Salmon Bellies have not won the Canadian Championship since way back in 1991. And in order to break that drought, New West needs to do something very few Western lacrosse champions have done this century. We've been waiting a long time for a Man Cup. 2015 was the last time a West Coast team won the Man Cup, the Victoria Shamrocks on their home floor. But in 14 of the past 15 years, Ontario teams have brought home the trophy. And the current champs, the Six Nations Chiefs, are heavy favourites to continue the domination. Six Nations rolled through the Ontario playoffs going 8-1. They have a stacked team full of all-stars, but they are doing their best to downplay all of it heading into this series. You know, you can throw all the stats from the history and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's, it's Six Nations versus New West. It's 50-50, you know, throw everything out the window. It's two great teams playing, you know, on New West's floor. Tavares has won seven or eight man cups as a player and coach. So many he's lost track. But there's a reason Ontario teams have dominated. You know, they probably funnel about a thousand more players through their junior system into their five senior teams where we have seven here in the in the West. So the math is pretty simple in terms of the talent pool and the depth of talent. What has happened in the past, Ontario has won whatever. You know, we can't we can't bank on any of that stuff. We have to come to play. 
Lacrosse is an emotional game. The series will be played at Queens Park, which will be jammed to the rafters full of very passionate Salmon Bellies fans. I've been fortunate to play in some very, very cool atmospheres, and, and this is at the top for it. When we can sell this place out and have a, a raucous crowd in here, it's, there's nothing like being in Queens Park. There's nothing like the hometown crowd here and, and just the history in this building. So that's uh, hopefully our home floor advantage, and we're going we're gonna to ride with it. Last year, Langley took the Man Cup to a seventh game in Peterborough, but just fell short. It's a grueling schedule, seven games in a nine-day span, where it can literally be last man standing who wins the Cup. Winds up, walks in, scores! It's called the Man Cup, not the Boys Cup, right? It's, it's, a, it's a task that, that's not easy, um, never has been easy, and every year there's, there's one team that kind of survival to fit us, and it takes more than just skill. Seattle Seahawks have three main receivers, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and first-round draft choice Jackson Smith-Najigba. But there's another receiver who made the team and one who basically came out of nowhere, Jake Bobo. He wasn't drafted because he was considered too slow. But the Seahawks gave him a tryout, and he just kept getting better until they had to give him a job. And for someone who is a speedster like DK Metcalf, the fact a slow Bobo made the team is a tribute to just how hard he works at improving his other skills. Like he's more detailed than I ever will be, um, and I use that as motivation to practice harder and make sure I'm honing in on more details because he's doing all the little things right, um, and you know he's reaping the benefits of it because he's very consistent. Every time he lines up on the field, you have to know where 19 is. That's just what I'm going to say off the rip. I mean, he's just a, a unique player, in my opinion, who, who's going to make a lot of noise. Tomorrow morning, and I do mean morning, about 1.30 a.m., Canada faces Serbia at the World Cup of Basketball. Winner will go to the final against either the U.S. or Germany. That's the other semi, of course. This is the furthest Canada has ever gone at the men's worlds. Exciting. All right. All right. Thanks, Squire. Inspirational art from a former child refugee now helping other children in conflict zones. His story next on the News Hour. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, a very busy afternoon for Vancouver firefighters responding to an SRO fire and a fire on False Creek. The latter fire has done serious damage to a raft of boats between the Camby and Granville Bridges. Firefighters now believe has started on the pleasure craft in the middle there, possibly during refueling. Two people escaped the fire and late word that one is being treated for burns. Also tonight, the Surrey Gelato shop owner who suffered a heart attack last week after a thief smashed into his business is back on the job and speaking out. We'll hear from him at 11. Sophie. I'm glad to hear he's uh, up and about. Thanks, Jordan. Right now, a Kurdish artist living in B.C. who grew up in a refugee camp is inspiring other children in similar situations. As Jay Durant shows us in This is B.C., the work of Haram Jamal is based on the struggles he survived. The quiet corner of a Burnaby Park providing a backdrop for Haram Jamal's latest work, a break from a career that has captured memories of conflict from his family's experiences. Sometimes I drew a bomb, tank, gun. Sometimes I try to draw some beautiful things as well. The Kurdish spent eight years of his childhood in a refugee camp in Iran, finding inspiration in art after being gifted a pack of crayons. 
th that was a great moment, and I never forget that. Uh, and that was encouraging me to, to do more art. I was feeling like I have a superpower, and the power is my color pencil. Jamal studied his craft and eventually became a teacher. Years later, returning to refugee camps, introducing art to many children experiencing the same difficulties he once endured. They try to be happy, and they are living in the moment. I can remember their face when they were smiling, laughing. That was a great moment for me. He was moved to create a new project, using their feet to help share their stories. Like how many miles they were run to get a safe place and through the border, and they didn't have any shoes. Today, his work is being showcased in local galleries, quietly building a career that was hard to imagine as a child. We need to have a dream and hope for it. As they have a difficult life. That's why here yeah, it's my time to share this message at least. Uh, and I cannot ignore it and close my eyes. I hope every, every children are happy and smiling without living without fear. Jay Durant, Global News. Great message. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just like Hutton's story, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy, final word on the weather to you. Well, we've got two summer-like days on the way as we continue uh, with uh, officially summer. Uh, we will transition to cooler conditions on Sunday, although the precipitation a little iffy at this time. So tune back in. Uh, for now, enjoy the sunshine. I think we can put the AC unit away, though. That's what I'm thinking of doing this weekend. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right, thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.